Well, uh, don't know if you guys listen to podcasts or not, uh, but I do. Been listening to them for quite a few years, and was listening to a podcast a few years back. And there was one that talked about people going into ministry. And honestly, by the time I got to the end of that podcast, I was pretty freaked out. Uh, Because as I listened to the podcast, they were talking about these guys who were excited about going with their families and going with a small group of people and going from one community to another and beginning a new church. And even though it seemed like really exciting to me at the moment, like I said, the longer I listened to the podcast, the more I realized that it's a scary and intimidating thing to do. Because these guys, they had really high expectations and hopes for where they were going. And they wanted to leave healthy impact and healthy legacies on these new communities that they were going in. But what ended up happening was as these guys did that, their lives actually fell apart and the church plants did not flourish, but things went kaput. And so as I listened to the podcast, I began to zoom in and figure out how did those guys get there? How did they get in a place to where they had these awesome dreams and expectations and hopes, but how did they get in a spot where everything actually just fell apart? And for most of the men, it actually started with them working too many hours. Too many hours that took them away from their own walk with Jesus. Too many hours that began to take them away from loving their wives, leading their families. And it brought them to a place where they weren't personally well. And so, therefore, the ministry that they were leading wasn't going well either. And so they worked long hours. They cut back time with the kids. They developed deep work relationships. And the church staff was doing well. But it killed their home environment. And so more or less, they ended up making ministry their mistress, and it all fell apart. And so that, in turn, sent their wives elsewhere for fulfillment, and some of them, uh, some of the women in those marriages ran after fitness, fashion, gossip, self-indulgence, tried to make child-centered homes, tried to run after different things because the husband wasn't there encouraging and leading And for some of the women, they began to build friendship with other men because they weren't getting that friendship from their husband anymore. And that brought them, eventually, some of them, to a place where they're not only committing emotional adultery, but sexual adultery. And so if that's happening at the home level, within the church leadership team, you better believe that that church isn't flourishing either. And so these guys, they had these exciting things ahead of them. They're like, oh, we're going to go to this community. We're going to plant a church. It's going to be awesome. God's going to do sweet things. But what they end up doing is losing it all because they, they, they stop getting time with Jesus. They stop leading in their homes. And it falls apart. And so for me as a new guy in ministry, like listening to that podcast at first, like I said, it was exciting. But then I was freaked out because I want to maybe go plant a church in a few years down the road. And I want to see Anthem, a church plant that's three and a half years old, flourish. But I also have this fear now and this worry of like, oh my goodness, like if the leadership falls apart, the church crashes. And that's a lot of weight and it's intimidating. And so I I want to plant a church in the future, but I also have this fear, this worry that it's not going to go well because I've seen things and listened to things that make me believe that sometimes, even when we have really strong and good desires for healthy impact and healthy legacies, those things don't happen. 
because we falter. And I think for all of us, we want to have healthy impact. We want to have lasting legacies where we're living for God's will, where we're trying to have our walk as believers go well for us. We want to have healthy personal lives that inspire other people. We want to have healthy families that other people say, wow, like the Joneses, they are an awesome family. We want to have that. We want to have healthy impact and healthy legacies where people say, yeah, you know what? Uh, Mr. Miller, when he passed away, he, he was one of the best people we ever knew. Like We want to have people say that about us, but it's something that we don't get if we don't begin living godly lives. And the reality is most of us don't often see that or experience that because we mess up our priorities. We quit pursuing Jesus. We quit pursuing our wives, our husbands. We quit leading our families. Our time with Jesus becomes dull and mundane, and we don't spend time doing that anymore because there's no fulfillment in that. And then because we're not living out godly days, we're not on track to be leaving godly legacies. And so the question I want us to be asking ourselves this morning is how do we live a meaningful 2020 with godly impact that'll lead us to a godly legacy? And you're like, oh yeah, happy new year. This is, this is exciting uh, to start with that. How do we live a meaningful 2020 with godly impact and lasting legacy rather than watching things fall apart, rather than things not being healthy this year? What can we do to help put ourselves in a position to get to the end of 2020 and be in a spot where we're like, yeah, we lived this year out well, and we've been faithful with each 24-hour chunk of time we're given, each day we're given, and we're on track to live godly lives until the end. And so this morning, we're going to be spending just this week in Deuteronomy, and you can start to turn to Deuteronomy 6 if you'd like. And in Deuteronomy, we're going to see from this story that godly lives, godly legacies are built from godly days. Because all in all, what a godly legacy is, is someone who has chosen to live godly day after godly day after godly day. So we'll go ahead and pray and get uh, working on the text here in Deuteronomy 6. Um, so dear Lord, uh, just thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can be in here one, uh, with one another. God, just looking at your word. Um, God, would we be able to take some truths from a God that we can apply to our life, God. May we learn and understand better this morning what it looks like to live a godly day, Lord, so that we can live godly lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, uh, we're going to be in Deuteronomy 6, so go ahead and turn there if you're not there already, and I'll just give you a, a quick rundown of where we're at in Scripture. So we just finished our Genesis series. Chris finished it out last week, and uh, we were talking about the people of Israel, and as we get into, De into Deuteronomy 6, we're talking about the same group of people, but they've left Egypt and now they're trying to make it to the promised land. And so we're talking about the 12 tribes of Jacob. And they had been enslaved. They'd been going through this famine in Egypt. And now God has given them this opportunity to go to the promised land. And so they're exiting Egypt and doing their very best to get to the promised land. But if you know your Bible, you know that it doesn't go super well for them. And so it's a 240-mile trek from Egypt to Israel where they're heading 
and it takes them a whopping 40 years to get there, which is a, a horrible amount of time because, I mean, to Gerbs is like 0.4 miles. They're averaging 0.02 miles a day. This group of 2 million people that Moses is leading, they are struggling to get from one place to another, even though God has given them this place called the land of promise. And so as this mess of a situation is unfolding, God brings Moses up to a mountain to kind of give him a debrief on how things are going, to give him some guidance, to give him these 10 rules to live by. And so God has that little time with him, and then he sends Moses down the mountain, and then Moses is gathering the Israelites for a little family powwow, and that's where we're starting in Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 1. And so Moses is talking here, and it says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your sons' sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, and a land flowing with milk and honey. And so the first observation, the first thing we can see here in the first verse is that Moses is giving a message to God's people. And in verse 1, he's saying, I have a commandment for you. But it's better than Moses' words. He's given a commandment from the Lord. And so he's not coming up with some self-help thing, some self-help message. He's saying, all right, people of Israel, I am delivering mail from God the Creator. Here it is. Let me read it to you. And so we see that Moses is giving a message to God's people. And in verse 2, verse 3, we see that it's a message that shows that God's desire for the people of Israel, in verse 2, for them to have lives that are lived long. God desires that people live good and full lives. Verse 3, he desires that those lives be lived well, and he desires that those well-lived lives also be multiplied. And so Moses is giving this message to God's people and showing them God has a father's heart. He wants you, the people of God, to have lives that are long, that are full, and that are healthy. And so Moses comes down from the mountain and he gives this vision to their lives and saying, people like, there is a better way to live that God has for you. You don't have to be wandering in this desert. You don't have to be caught in this place where you guys are fighting over everything caught in a place where you can't get from point A to point B. Like in a lot of ways, they're, they're acting like lost and messy toddlers. And for those of you who have had kids, you know what that can look like, where it's like, wow, like they sit in their own waste sometimes. They can't feed themselves. They're needy. They cry. They, they don't really know how to get from one place to another. That's where the people of Israel were at. And so Moses is saying, don't be content with that life anymore. Don't be content in your wandering. You have the opportunity to have a vibrant and full godly life ahead of you. Why are you choosing to live in this way? And in, in one spot, it, it reminds me of a guy that I discipled uh, a few years back who really had a strong desire to live a godly life. He wanted to have a healthy legacy where people had respect for him, but yet he would choose to spend each day that he was given wasting his time and energy on things that just 
brought him satisfaction for that day. And so he spent a lot of time playing video games, spent a lot of time watching Netflix, spent a lot of time just absorbing all this stuff on himself rather than seeking to love the Lord on a daily basis and to love other people well on a daily basis. And I remember sitting down with him and trying to help him connect the dot. Like, don't you see that like a thoughtless and wasted day after thoughtless and wasted day on and on and on is ultimately going to lead to a thoughtless and wasted life. And so he was wandering in this disengaged and kind of lost sort of life. And the harsh reality was that he wasn't too different than the people of Israel, wasn't too different than a toddler that's trying to figure out life on their own. And he realized in time that he needed to grow and make adjustments to his days if he wanted his life to be different. And so the lesson learned was that godly lives, they must be built. They don't just stumble into existence. You have to build them. And so Deuteronomy 6.3, God is saying, Hear, O Israel, be careful, be full of care with how you live. And again, showing his father's heart, I have something better for you in mind. And so we'll continue on into verses 4 to 6 as Moses delivers this great commandment for the people of God to base their life on. And so let's read that together, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Israel tended to not notice God. They tended to not love God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, and with all of their might. They tended to put other things in the place of the God thing. They allowed something else to captivate their heart rather than their walk with the Lord. And so in verse 4, Moses is encouraging them to acknowledge God. There is one God, and he is one. Acknowledge him. Don't put other things in his place. He is the one creator God. He's your saving God who's given you your purpose in your life. Acknowledge that. Verses 5 to 6, he's encouraging them to cling to God. You need God more than anything. Give him all of your heart, your feelings, your affections, your desires, your soul, your breath, your spirit, your rationale, your thoughts. Give him all of your might. Give him your lived out intentions. Give him your days. Give him your weeks, your months, your years. And then in verse 6, again, saying, let these words be on your heart today, tomorrow, and forever. You want a healthy legacy, a godly legacy. It begins, O Israel, with you guys clinging to God. And that's clearly what the people of Israel had not been doing. They weren't wandering in the wilderness because of nothing. They were doing that because they were clinging to other things rather than they were clinging to God. And in one way, like, I almost picture God is encouraging them to be like, hey, like, treat me like you treat your iPhone. Like, put me on a higher pedestal like that. I mean, this thing is next to you when you wake up 
It's with you when you go to the bathroom. It's with you when you go down to the table for breakfast. It's with you on your way to work. It's with you while you're in the car messing with it when you should be driving your car. Like our phones are with us everywhere and we put them on this high pedestal because it's a dynamic thing that can do a lot of things. And it's almost like the people of Israel were treating God like he was some ancient corded wall phone that's there for emergencies that can't do anything because it's stationary. And God's saying, no, no, like I am way more than that. I am with you always. And so why were the people of Israel treating the God of the universe like someone who's just bound and stuck to the wall when God is with us everywhere, right? And so they're being challenged by Moses. You need to cling to God. He is the most dynamic thing that you can ever have. He's given you life. He's given you purpose. Cling to me. And I can only imagine how much healthier we all would be if we actually did that. If we actually knew this great commandment to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might. And if we let that thing drive us in life. Like how much healthier would we be? Like I can think of in my own life, things that have recently caused me stress and worry and frustration and anxiety. One of them is a relationship that I'm in where I'm wanting to lead out well in this relationship. And sometimes I have relationship insecurities because of stuff in my past. And that comes up. And if I clung to God with that, rather than being jammed up and awkward and frustrated in the moment, Peyton, my girlfriend, would appreciate that. If I clung to God with insecurities that I had, things would be different. If I clung to God with the insecurities that I have in leading salt company, Stan's said, hey, like we trust that you are gonna lead salt company well. And it's like, yeah, I hear that, but I don't always believe that in my heart because when I'm leading it, sometimes I'm self-conscious and worried. What if I clung to God with that? What if I spent more hours in the word instead of minutes in the word? What if I spent more hours on my knees in prayer clinging to God because he's the one who's gonna make this ministry grow and be healthy anyway? And so I wonder, why are we not valuing and living by this commandment that God has called great, to love him with everything? And so Moses is pushing the people of Israel to hold on to God as a prized possession. He's someone you can't live without, and through him, that's how your days will go well. And notice God isn't saying like, hey, follow these 10 laws and then this one after it in the next chapter. He's not just saying that. He's saying, cling to me, hold on to me. It doesn't mean life's gonna be perfect, but it does give you a foundation if you're clinging to the creator. So Moses is pushing them to form and found their life on this commandment because he knew that godly lives being built on godly days would start with people actually clinging to God. Let's continue on into verse 7. And this is Moses speaking of the laws. And it says, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The people of God had some breakdowns in their life. 
Within their families, they were not teaching their kids diligently. Within their community, people weren't speaking of their faith as they went about. It wasn't seen from the ways that they lived their life. They were doing this whole like sacred and secular divide where they were leaving their relationship with Jesus at church on Sundays, and then their work world, their family world was all separate and over here. And they weren't letting their relationship with God influence the rest of their weeks. And they had this sort of box and block theology where it's like, yeah, I'm going to bring out my faith box when I need it, and it's going to affect me, and I'm going to cling to it when, you know, I'm in a tough spot. But then after uh, I have peace, uh, I have purpose, then I'm going to put it back here, lock it away, and get it back out down the road. And so Moses is declaring to the people of Israel, you want to live a godly life. You want to have a godly legacy. Number one, cling to God, give him everything, but also cultivate, nurture, craft, and mold each day that's in front of you. You want to live godly lives. Value this mission. Start with the why. Start with the mission to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. Verse 7, he's encouraging them, teach it to your children. Obsess over the meaning of your life. Talk of it at your dinner table. Like, what, what if they would have done that? What if they actually would have talked about that at their dinner table? Like, if the, the husband and the families, you know, way back when, 1000 BC, whenever it is, like, if they sat them down and said, well, kids, how have you done today at loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might? Well, Dad, not so great. Okay, son, that's all right. You know what the mission is for tomorrow? Same thing. So let's pray that you'll do better with it then. What if they would have been doing that? Do you think they'd still be floundering in the wilderness, taking 40 years to get 240 miles? I don't think so. And so Moses is encouraging them to memorize the mission and to review it daily. Memorize this mission and let it drive your life. On into verse 7 and 8, where it's talking about when you rise, when you lie down. Moses is encouraging them to master the simple things in life, master the mundane. Yeah, that quiet time might seem dull some days, but if you are disciplined, if you are mastering the simple things of your faith, it's going to give you consistency and foundation unlike any other. And so he's encouraging them Put systems in place to promote your health. Like the Van Vorst, it's okay if they have a shower schedule for seven kids, right? It's okay if they have that daily system because you don't just shower seven kids in one house by accident. Like there's probably a process. And if we don't have issues when people go to war and there's commanders who have strategy and plan it out, then why should we have issues with trying to have some sort of daily system and plan in our own spiritual walks? I think sometimes people avoid doing disciplines and things like that because they say, well, I don't know, it just doesn't seem organic. Well, it's not always organic to do the right thing. And for all of us, the right thing is for us to have the daily discipline to meet with our creator. And we know where it leads us when we don't do that. And so Moses is encouraging them, don't only memorize this mission, don't only master the mundane, but also just have these daily disciplines in place so you can have foundation as you go in the life you've been given. And we can also see in 
verses 7 through 9, this push for them to have uh, these laws on the frontlets and wristlets and doorposts and gates, that's representing their whole being. That's not saying they actually physically had to do all of that. It's encouraging the people of God to take their faith with them everywhere. Maximize the moments that are happening around you. As you go out, as you go to work, have your faith with you. Don't only memorize the mission. Don't only just personally be well. But as you're living your life, take the opportunities that come in front of you. Have it out on your doorposts. Have it out on your gates. Meaning, have it in your whole person. And let it be with you wherever you find yourself. It's almost like uh, Moses was having the people of God uh, sit in one of the first days of history class that I taught a few years ago to where I told the students, I was like, hey, there's a daily formula for you guys to have a really good year. You don't just have a really good year. There's a formula to get you there, and it starts with you guys, number one, having respect for me and workability in our relationship between student and teacher, And it continues to go well as you understand the syllabus and follow the plans and the rules and the schedules and the things that are in place there. And so Moses is trying to help the people of God see, hey, you want to thrive, you want to do well. Then take each day. Take each day, and that's going to give you a year of success. And then year after year after year, the people of God, their lives would begin to be so different if they were doing that. And so Moses is telling the people of God, cling to God and cultivate each day that's in front of you. Know the mission, master the simple things, the disciplines, and maximize the moments that are in front of you. Because again, Moses understood, had learned from God up on the mountain, Hey, if the the people of God are going to have godly lives and godly legacies, it's going to come from them living one godly day after another. Let's continue reading on into verse 10. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst, and he is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from the face of the earth. We can see in the first verses there that God is blessing his children. He's blessing them with this promised land, a land to call home, a land that has been prepared for them already. There's fruit, it's full, it's healthy, there's cities. There's wells that have already been dug, and it's an established place. And so we see God's father heart there again, blessing his children with these good things. But right after that, verses 12 to 14, we see Moses quickly reminding the people of the reality that they're going to tend to get distracted. 
They're going to tend to look to other gods. They're going to tend to, verse 12, forget the Father. They're going to tend to not fear and love him because they're going to have interest in other gods. And so Moses is showing, yeah, you guys are being blessed by God in this new land, but realize your tendency, O people of Israel. Your tendency is to get distracted. Your tendency is to let other idols, let other things get in the place of your relationship with God. And so he's challenging them to not let their hearts be given to other things. And where they were at, it reminds me of friends and family that I have had who have been caught in drug addiction, who have let something else, some substance, become the main thing in their life rather than their walk with the Lord. And even though they have this understanding of God's blessing for them, they know that God shaped them, they know that God has given them direction and hope and purpose in life, on repeat, they're giving themselves over to something else. It's captivated their heart and their mind and their life. Like verse 15 says, they've gone after other gods, and now those friends and family there are much like the Israelites where they're wandering in the desert. And they're taking years and years and years to try to make it 240 miles. And it's happened because they've forgotten God's design to cling to him, to cultivate each day. And it's led them to a living hell and a place where they're distant from God and unsatisfied. And we all understand that place to some degree. We might not understand it completely in those same exact ways, but we've all got caught in that game of God is God versus I am God. And we've all danced back and forth between one day saying, oh yeah, I'm, I'm really faithfully walking with the Lord. And then two days later, it's like, no, I think I'm God and I think I need to figure out what the most important thing is in life. And so we all have something that has competed for number one in our heart. We all have had something that has made us want to just please ourselves rather than please God. And we've all become addicts of our own interests. And so even if you're like, oh, well, I'm not, I've never been a drug addict or anything like that, we all are addicts of our own interests. And that's where the people of God were at at this point, and that's where many of us are as well. We've become addicts of our own interests where self-love is greater than love of God. And so this is why Moses has come down from the mountain to deliver this message to the people of God and help them see, hey, you guys need to confess the idols and distractions that come up. As you're going out, as you're living your days trying to cling to God, as you're living your days trying to cultivate each day for the glory of God, you also need to confess those distractions and those idols that come up along the way. And guys, I think the reality is that none of us want to live lives that have bad legacies. None of us want to live lives that are just, eh, it's all right. None of us want to have headstones that say, oh, most hours on Netflix. Most self-centered, most hours spent in front of the mirror trying to look pretty, most greedy, most self-indulging, most addicted to porn, most hooked on drugs, best at blowing up and losing my temper on the kids, best at forgetting spouses' needs, right? Nobody wants their headstones to say that. 
You don't, I don't. We want our headstones to say something different. But it's interesting that even though we want our headstones to say something different, we live each day with that sort of stuff. We're on a pace, on a trajectory to have headstones that do say that, but we don't realize it because we have this perfect expectation of, well, the future version of me is going to be so much better, and then by the time that I die, people are going to write this really great thing on my epitaph or whatever they're called. And the truth is the way that we live often puts us in a place where it's like, actually, we're on a not the best trajectory because we are like the people of Israel, and we're not clinging to God, and we're not cultivating each day that's in front of us. And so in light of what we're seeing in the text, in light of our lives and our desires, like, I think it's worth it to reorient ourselves to who God wants us to be. God is our blessing giving of a father. And he wants us to be broken, humble children that are willing to give our lives to him day after day after day. He wants us to be people who begin healthy relationships with him through Jesus. Wants us to be people that are having godly days that are leading to godly legacies. That's who God wants us to be. And he wants our headstones to say in 2040, 2060, 2080, whenever it is, he wants our headstones to say something along the lines of, yeah, this person was someone who loved the Lord their God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, and with all of their might. And that's something that I believe we should want. And assuming that's the case, I think it's worth spending some time figuring out how to get there. And so if that is where you want to be, I'm going to just spend these next few minutes putting out this thing called a rule of life. And I might get in teacher mode a little bit here, so apologies if that's the case. And this rule of life isn't something that is the gospel. It's not to replace Jesus. But it's a practical structure to have in your life to put you in a place where you're having godly days that are leading to godly lives and godly legacies. And so for me, um, it starts with a mission statement, okay? When I look at my life, I have a mission statement, And I stole it from Anthem, so it's not my own. But each day when I wake up, part of my rule of life is I am here on earth to help myself and others know, love, and obey Jesus. And so when I'm waking up in the morning, I have a trajectory that is pushing me in a way that's bringing God glory and others good. And so if I get bored in the afternoon and I'm like, man, what am I supposed to do right now? If I have a mission statement that I have just formed my whole life around, I already know the answer. I don't have to have boring days. Like, I don't think Christians are allowed to have boring lives. Because we know what the mission is and we know that there's work to be done, right? No one thinks the world is perfect and we know that part of our job here is to help people know, love, and obey Jesus. And so having a mission statement that you and your family or if you're single, you yourself are living off of, it's helpful. And it's not just something that's pulled out of thin air, it's rooted in scripture. And so making a mission statement is a worthwhile thing to do as you look at your 2020. And beyond that, I think it's worth cultivating habits and plans within our life. And so planning out days that are godly. Each day I'm getting time with Jesus where I have daily word time. I spend some time journaling I don't pray super well, just 
in my mind. So a lot of times I'm writing out prayers and meeting with God in that way. It's part of my everyday. When I'm in the car, a lot of times I choose to not have music on because I'm praying out loud. Helps me not be so worried and jammed up with different anxieties and stresses about life. It's like, actually, I'm just talking to God during that time. I get time with my significant other. If you're married, get time with your spouse. Get time with your family. Be present, shepherd, lead. Let that be part of your daily routine. Be present in your home. Take time caring for yourself. Think about what food you put in your body. Think about the amount of sleep that you need and get that. Spend time exercising. It doesn't have to be every day for a crazy amount of time, but God gave us bodies to care for. So it's worthwhile to spend part of our days being active in some way. And beyond that, I think it's worth building healthy weeks. Find a healthy church and serve in it. Have a day where you spend enjoying time with the Lord. Take Sabbath, enjoying life that God's given. Each week, spend time getting discipled. None of us have arrived here. It's worth time having someone older than you or more mature in the faith speaking into your life. And it's also part of our mission to disciple others. Are you putting that in your weeks? If we looked at each other's calendars, would there be people in your life that's like, oh yeah, and at three o'clock on Friday, I'm meeting with Jen. Things are gonna be healthier the more we're doing the things that God has called us to. And so having healthy weeks that you're getting discipled and you're discipling others. For those who are married, have a date night. Spend time enjoying your spouse. Spend time getting on the same page. Have a separate meeting where you guys are talking about, okay, what does this next week of life look like? Spend 30 minutes, spend an hour together during your week so that the 167 other hours of the week, you guys can be on the same page. And don't let your date night be the same night as the night that you're just trying to figure all that out because then your date night will probably end up turning into you guys just trying to plan out your weeks and not enjoying each other. And so build healthy weeks. Plan out your days, build healthy weeks. Have months that have some diversity in it. Don't let every week just be busy. Don't spend all your weeks doing the same thing. Sometimes practice hospitality. Sometimes practice serving. Rest hard. Fast sometimes. Stop and prioritize your relationships. And then cultivate years that have some margin. And what I mean by that is know when to run and know when to rest. And so for me, I know that from February until May, and then from August until the start of December, things are going to be really busy and I'm going to overwork. Because that's how, well, ministry tends to be busy. But I also know that I get to rest hard during those other times of the year. And so summer, I get to spend more time in Iowa, more time spending with friends and family. And so have years that have margin. And as we're living out this rule of life, I think the last thing we can do is confess those distractions that come up along the way. And I can already tell you, your phone is probably going to be one of them. And so as you're trying to execute this life where you're loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might, be willing to confess. Be humble enough to confess the things that distract you from that. And so sometimes it's going to be 
your phone. Sometimes it's going to be your feelings. It's going to be your personality getting in the way. But here's the thing. Our personality describes how we are. Our feelings describe how we feel. But regardless, God's word describes who we need to be. And so even though we have certain tendencies, we all have the same call on our life to love God with everything, with each given day in front of us. And so I think we can be excited about 2020. I think we can be excited about the life in front of us. And I think we can, if we're faithful, find ourselves in really sweet spots 12 months from now. And if we're faithful, we can see ourselves in really great spots when our lives are coming to an end as well. And I don't believe that our church is going to have the story of the people on that podcast where things were falling apart because I do believe that God's going to use this community to be faithful day in and day out where we're making disciples and seeing the gospel go forward. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, uh, we do just thank you for this morning uh, that we can be in your word, uh, understanding your call in our lives, God. And God, I pray uh, for those who say, yeah, I know Jesus. I've committed my life to him. I pray that they would choose to have godly days that are leading to godly legacies, Lord. And for those who maybe don't have a relationship with Christ, I pray that they would be willing to talk to someone, talk to myself, talk to someone on the worship team, one of the pastors in the room, God, about what it would look like to begin a relationship with Jesus, Lord. And God, we do just pray over each of the individuals in this room that they would be willing to give their lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.